Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Look uh, at the very, very beginning of Scripture this morning. We're going to start right at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Don't worry, I'm not planning on making it all the way to Revelation, so. But we'll see what happens. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read three verses out of this first chapter of Genesis, and we'll get, get rolling this morning. Amen. Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's groundbreaking stuff. You probably never heard that one before. I had to dig real deep to find that. It's four years of Bible college paying off right there. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then verse 31 says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So wrapping up the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, you can take the time on your own and read through all the different days of creation and the things that were made and um, how, how the world was spoken into existence by God Almighty. And you can call me crazy, but I believe that if the book says it, that that's what happened. I believe that we have a divine creator that spoke things into existence just like he says in his word. There's, there's, there's too much amazing stuff in this world and in our lives and, and even the human body itself to believe that it could happen by random chance. It's not the topic of conversation today, but I know that uh, evolutional theory is very popular in the science realm, which strikes me as odd because scientifically, the second law of thermodynamics says that anything that's left to itself will continue towards a state of entropy or disorder. We're not trending towards disorder. Humanity, by the very definition of the word evolve, flies in the face of scientific law. We serve a divine creator who's established from the beginning. And he spoke the world into existence, the heaven and the earth. And he created man in his own image. And after he had completed all of creation, he took a look at what he had done and he said, it is very good. Very good. Now, take a moment with me and think, if you will, about the most beautiful place on earth. Personally, I think about that. I did, that's just... I didn't, that's just me. That just looks like there's no grass to mow. I promise you it doesn't snow there. And I mean, I, it looks good to me. It looks good to me. I'll probably never make it there. If I did, it'd be cool. But uh, that's, that's what I look at when I think of perfection. Now, I don't, I don't know about you. There's a lot of, uh, I don't want to say weird, but there's a lot of different opinions you know, some people like the cold weather. Eh. No, not for me. My, my version of paradise, my version of perfection never goes below 60 degrees, ever. Uh, amen. I felt it in the spirit. I'm just going to flow in that vein. We're going to... 
No, but, but think, about, think about your version of perfection, your paradise, whatever that looks like to you. And then think about God Almighty, the creator of everything. He spoke into existence the world. He spoke into existence every creature, every being, every plant, every sea, every ocean. He spoke it into existence and he looked back at his work and he said it was very good. Now my picture of perfection and my version of perfection, even your version of perfection, no matter how great it is to you, it pales in comparison to God's version of perfection. And yet that's what he gave us in Genesis chapter 1 when he spoke into the world creation. Now I'm talking about more than just, uh, more than just the scenery that he created, more than just the environment or the atmosphere or, or the temperature or the weather. I'm talking about all of that plus the fact that there was no sin. There was no death. There was no sickness and no dying, no depression, no anxieties, no worries. I'm talking about absolute perfection. In days of old, they tried to call it something like utopia and imagine that it would never exist. But I can point to a utopian society in Genesis chapter 1 in the Garden of Eden where there truly was no imperfection, no flaws, no questioning, no doubt, no failure, just perfection spoken into existence by God Almighty. But the sad reality is this, there was something that killed it all off, something that killed all of that perfection. It was just a tiny three-letter word, it was sin. Sin is what destroyed perfection from the very beginning. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 tells us, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Romans 3.25 said, For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. And even the psalmist David penned in 51.5, he said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And it is the sad and unfortunate reality of the day that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, that we lost out on the potential for perfection. For now our very nature is conceived and indeed ruled and driven by sin. People who are struggling to believe in God will ask the question, if God is real, then why do bad things happen to good people? If God is loving, why do people die? If God this, why cancer? If God that, why abortion? If God this, why death? If God this, why terrorism? And the very simple answer that no one likes to hear and even fewer are ready to hear is just one word. Sin. For by one man sin entered in the world, and by sin, death. So can I look at the failure of humanity and use that as an excuse to try and convince someone that God Almighty does not exist? No. I can't look at man's failure. I can't look at man's ineptitude and say that this is proof that God doesn't exist. Because from the very beginning, he spoke into creation perfection. He spoke into creation a world that was absolutely perfect and without sin, and there was no death. Death was not part of the creation plan. It wasn't. He wasn't planning on Adam having to die. Did it take him by surprise when Adam and Eve sinned and ate of the fruit? Absolutely not. And we'll see as we go through to this morning that there's a plan in place 
to remedy all of that and bring us back back to Eden. But the simple reality of it is this. We can't look at failure. We can't look at at demise of man and try and uh, explain away a God. But sin is the destroyer of all things. And sin takes what was designed to be perfect and it mars it to the core. Sin takes what was designed to be free and beautiful and stains it with the ugly smears of death. And the only thing that is capable of appropriately covering sin is bloodshed. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Now this is after we see the encounter with Adam and, and, uh, or with Eve rather in the serpent. And he convinces her to eat of the fruit. And she convinces her husband to eat of the fruit. And they do. And then they're going about their day. And, and God says, uh, where, where are you at? Because they're hiding. They said, well, I heard your voice and I was afraid because I was naked. And he said, well... Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And he, of course, does what any respectable man does. He blames it on his wife. And uh, <laughs> I didn't say it was right. I just said it's what he did. But they, they, they had sewed together themselves clothes out of, out of fig leaves. And, and God, as he's getting ready to send them out of the garden, that's not an, a, an appropriate covering. And so... He says that he made them both coats of skin. Now, the only way to make clothes from skin is that there had to be death. There had to be a sacrifice to ultimately cover not just their body, but to cover their sin. And that's where we have the concept of blood sacrifice covering sin that reigns on throughout the Old Testament and throughout the law and the, the need for, for spotless sacrifice and all of these things to take place is because the only way that that sin could be covered up was with the shed blood. So for hundreds of years, the only covering for sin that could be offered was spotless animals of the utmost perfection. By the shedding of their blood, sin could be rolled back for one year at a time. Now there's an imperative requirement for all of us today before we can take a step towards God and before we can get help and before we can pray a prayer of repentance and before anything else, we must come to the acknowledgement that we are sinners. We have a sin condition. We were born with it. And unless God intervenes, we will die with that sin condition. David, a man after God's own heart, even said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We're born with it. It's not something that we can just shake off or grow out of. But I'm so thankful today that that's not how the story ends. That's not how the story ends. The only way that that sin could be eternally conquered or, or covered would be if there was a perfect, spotless, eternal blood that could be shed to cover it. And that's where Jesus enters the scene. A man born of a virgin come to take away the sins of the world. Isaiah made sure, though, that we weren't going to be confused with any potential idea that Jesus was going to be a, a second person of the Godhead or a member of a triune being or some sort of demigod. He made it very clear, and he penned in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and we'll hear this scripture a lot more in the coming month or two. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. You can leave that scripture up there for just a moment. He's foretelling us of a spotless sacrifice coming, a man come to take away the sins of the world. And he said, unto us a child is born. Who is the child that was born? 
Jesus. And what did he say the name of that child would be? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He didn't say, I need to create some new God or some new being or some second person in a trinity. He didn't say, I need to do any of those things to cover over sin. He simply said, I'm going to send a child and my name is on that child. That child, Jesus, is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, come to take away the sins of the world. He made it very clear that he was going to do that. You see, a man born with no earthly father therefore has no heritage of sin, but rather a a heritage of perfection. And if you were in elements class on Wednesday, I I don't apologize, but you're going to hear again what we talked a little bit about on Wednesday. You see, our nature, our human nature, our heritage is passed down through our father. That's just how it works. That's just how it is. Uh, custom, customarily, we, we take the, the name of our father. Um, now, I know that there's random, weird, different situations, and, and everybody's got a, a, a different situation in the, the nuclear family as much as we uh, love and appreciate and treasure that is unfortunately not necessarily the normal in today's world and in today's society. But that doesn't change the fact that our heritage is passed down to us through our father. So when Romans chapter 5 told us that for by one man sin entered into the world, Adam, the father of all humanity, passed down to us all a nature of sin. He passed to us this, this sin nature so that David didn't have a choice but to acknowledge that I was shaping in sin and in, in, in iniquity did my mother conceive me. He didn't have an option and we don't have an option but to be born into sin because the heritage that's passed down to us through our flesh is sin. That's inspiring. Thanks for bringing it up. (laughs) But if we don't acknowledge the reality, then we don't know how to take a step to change. If we don't acknowledge the reality, then we we don't acknowledge the necessity for a Savior. But this is why it's so important that as we celebrate in in December and as we celebrate at Christmas time, the birth of Jesus, born of a virgin, Born of a Virgin Mary. And it's more than just a cute story. And it's more than just, you know, something that we can have some kids act out with a plastic baby doll. It's more than all of those things, right? The reality is if it wasn't a born of a virgin, then there would have been sinful heritage passed down to Jesus. This is why it was so important that he was born of a virgin, It's also important why the scripture accounts to us that Joseph didn't know his wife. He never had uh, sexual intercourse with his wife until after Jesus was born. Why? Because there needed to be spotless perfection. If there was any sin, if there was any heritage of sin in the man Jesus, there would be no sacrifice that could cover eternity. So we needed to have that spotless lamb. We needed to have a man, but not just a man. Colossians 2.9 tells us he wasn't just a man. He said, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This spotless sacrifice, John the Baptist called him in 129. He says, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. This is who we're talking about. And if you ever want New Testament proof of one God whose name is Jesus, you should just read through John chapter 1. I'll read a couple of those scriptures for you this morning. John 1.1 begins, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. Now we started at Genesis 1-1 this morning, and what do we see about the beginning? It said, oh, let me read it so I don't get it wrong. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's not more than one beginning, right? Is that a fair assumption? All right, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So from the very creation, the very moment that things began to be spoken into existence, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. From that moment, and even preceding that moment, it's hard for our minds to wrap around this concept of no time, right? But do you know that before the be there was a beginning, there was God? It... it, it Challenges the thinking, but if it's anything less than that, then he's not an eternal being. Okay, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see established from Genesis 1, one God. And we see John 1, 1 tell us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. In verse 3, it tells us this. It says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So lest there be any confusion about who we're talking about, we are talking about the Creator, the God Almighty. By him was not, uh, without him was not anything made, right? And then verse 10, put up verse 10 for me. It says this, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Verse 11 says he came unto his own and his own received him not we have accounts of Jesus coming back to his hometown of Nazareth and as he began to teach and as he began to preach in the synagogue they ran him out of the city saying is this not the carpenter's son Joseph they wouldn't hear him Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not this is what we're talking about if you want to extrapolate that even further Jesus came to save the sins of the world and what did they do to him they put him on a cross and said, give us Barabbas. He came unto his own and his own received him not. There's, there's no doubt or no confusion that we're talking about Jesus here. And yet we see that it's established that that same Jesus is the God of creation. Verse 14, if you put up there, it says, and the word became flesh. That word that was at the beginning, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory just like as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. That graceful, truthful God, that merciful savior is Jesus Christ. God Almighty, a son come to take away the sins of the world, a son whose name is Wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. That's who we're talking about. And that's who John told us is coming, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. But John continued in verse 34, and he says this, and I bear record that this is the Son of God. Now these words are important. These words are important. There's a big difference like an eternity-sized big difference in the phrase Son of God and God the Son. God the Son is popular to hear. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not biblical. That's the first problem with it. The first difference is Son of God is found in Scripture. God the Son is never found in Scripture. The second is this. This is not an additional person of the Godhead, but this is showing us why the man Jesus was qualified to take away the sins of the world because his father was perfect, without sin, flawless, blameless, spotless. He didn't have a heritage of sin passed down to him because he's God Almighty wrapped in flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21 tells us this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. We rejoice in that possibility. Amen? Amen. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given unto us the, the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. I'm going to pause for just a second. He says, not imputing their trespasses upon them. Right off the bat, does anybody just want to volunteer what imputing means? Because I didn't know either. Imputing means he wasn't blaming them. He wasn't putting the, the, the weight of their sin on them. He was not looking at them and saying, I know that you've failed. I know that you've made mistakes. I know that you've sinned, and I'm going to hold it against you. He was not imputing. He was not putting the weight of the sin on them. And he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now, then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now that word reconciliation is found a lot of times in that passage. The word reconciliation is this. It's the act of bringing together two parties previously alienated from one another. Two parties previously alienated from one another. Now we start by talking about God Almighty. We start by talking about Jesus Christ. We start by, start by talking about a spotless lamb. And then we start by talking about paradise and, and how he spoke it into existence. A perfect world, free from sin, free from doubt or depression, free from anxiety, free, free from thoughts of suicide, free from thoughts of failure or anything like that. We find ourselves looking at perfection, but sin separated that. Sin separated us from that. We even see that the act of sin not only uh, showed them that they, were, uh, that they were naked and that there needed to be bloodshed to cover their, their sin, their nakedness, but it separated Adam and Eve. They were removed from the garden. They were alienated from godly perfection. And by our sin nature, we are born alienated from godly perfection. That's not where we want to be. That's not where we long to be. That's not where we strive to be. And yet that's where we are. So it's necessary then for a reconciliation to take place. A coming together of two parties that were previously alienated. God and man. It's almost like we need a go-between, a mediator. There was a mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, come to take away the sins of the world. I love the Bible because it gives us our answers. So this word reconciliation, bringing together these two parties. Now when sin separated us from God back in the Garden of Eden, there was a chasm created. And the only way for that gap to be bridged was for us to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Born again of water in the name of Jesus so that not only are we rejoicing that the old man is gone and we have a new opportunity for a different life, but now we are actually born again with a new father and now a new heritage that's free from sin. You understand what we're talking about here? When we say buried with him in baptism, we, we, we bury in baptism, we go down all the way under the water and we speak the name of Jesus, not out of ceremony, not because it's something cute to do and not because it makes for a good Facebook post. It's not why we do it. 
We don't do it to boost hype or morale. We don't do it just as a, as a checkpoint along the thing and say, okay, now you're on your way to membership. That's not what it's about. This baptism is so much more than that. It goes so much further than that. It takes what we were, our sinful nature, our sinful humanity passed down to us through our Father and says, I've got a new name written in glory. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How can I become new unless I'm born again of a blameless Father, a Father who won't pass to me a heritage of sin, a Father who won't pass to me a heritage of failure and of no hope, but a God who's perfect, almighty God shed his blood for us, that we speak the name of Jesus. It's important that we speak the name of Jesus, because if you don't speak the name of Jesus, you don't invoke the power of the blood that was shed on the cross. Jesus Christ went to the cross, blood shed to save our sins, to wipe away the sins of the world. We've got this awesome, miraculous, eternal gift given to us that we can have our sins washed away and be created into newness of life, be created with a new heritage free from sin. And we get so close to it, but then we never invoke the power of the name. If you baptize and you say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, you never invoke the blood that was shed. If we don't call on the name of Jesus, we're ignoring the blood that was shed. Do we understand the reality there? That if we simply baptize somebody without ever using the name, we have wasted Calvary. Well, that's not popular. That's not what I heard growing up. That's not, the way I, that's not the way I learned it, and that's okay. I'm not here to discount anybody else's belief or, or, or challenge anything that you grew up in or, or tell you that you faulted or failed in any way. I'm simply here to reveal to you in Scripture that Jesus Christ laid forth a path. And if we haven't taken that path to have our sins washed away and a new name written in glory, it's available for you today. We see a situation just like this in Acts chapter 19. I didn't give you the scripture, so don't panic. In Acts chapter 19, we see that they come to a group of believers. And he says, have you received the power? The Holy Ghost is being poured out everywhere. And he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said, we don't even heard if there be any Holy Ghost. And he said, all right, well, let's take this back a step. He said, okay, well then, unto what were you baptized? Or how were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized unto John's baptism. And he said, he didn't tell him, you're done. Good luck in eternity because that's not going to work. And that's not how we treat people either. He simply said, that's awesome that you did what you knew to do. But then he said, let me show you the power of baptism in Jesus' name. And they didn't get offended. They didn't throw up their hands. They didn't stone him or run him out of the church. No, what did they do? They acknowledged this reality, this truth, this forever eternal saving power in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Baptized again, yes, that's, that's biblical. If it wasn't done in Jesus' name the first time, there's nothing wrong with doing it again in the name of Jesus. And what happened after that? Immediately after that, it says that they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, when we go down in this watery grave of baptism, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus, we come up in this newness of life. A new name. 
We come up a new creature. We come up born again and with a new hope and a new life and a new name. We're now reconciled to God, right back where he intended us to be from the very beginning of creation. This is monumental stuff, people. This is monumental stuff because when he spoke man into existence, he spoke him into existence into a perfect world and he spoke him into existence without sin. But sin came into the world and separated us from God's divine plan. But now we see this opportunity that we're born again in the name of Jesus and we're brought right back to Eden. That moment that the name of Jesus covers your life, washes away your sin, creates a new creature born again. In Jesus' name, we have a new heritage and we're right back where he designed us to be. Right back where he designed us to be. Now, it would be awesome if at that moment we could ascend to heaven and we didn't have to deal with the challenges of sin ever again. But that's not the reality of it. We still live in this world and we still walk in this world. And we still need help as we walk through this world. There's one more step in the fullness of the return to Eden. Can you put Genesis 2-7 on the screen for me? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now we're given the imagery here of God reaching down into the dust, the dirt that he had created, the clay that he had created, and shaping and molding man. And he created us in his own image, as he tells us, but he just created it. It's like making, you know, a little clay figure or a Lego guy. Anybody ever made a Lego guy? Anybody ever drawn a stick figure? All right, that's nearing the extent of my artistic abilities is the little stick man. And I can make a mean stick man. I just let me tell you. But here's the thing. If we do it with Legos or clay or, or pencil or crayon, and if God does it in the dirt and in the dust and whatever, what do we have? Nothing in the shape of a man, right? There was no life there until this moment. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So at that moment, that's when his life became new. That's when he was actually up and walking around and moving around, and then he's able to name all the animals, and he's able to groom the gardens and the trees and all these things. He's able to walk and talk with Jesus. He's able to give up a rib so that he can have a, pet, uh, a wife. Uh, whew, I almost came out wrong. Yikes. <laughs> All right. So that moment of life actually beginning, that moment of life actually beginning is when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Do you understand then that we are designed by God for life to begin with his breath filling our lungs. He had to breathe life into humanity. Without that breath of God, there was no life 
in humanity. So we've talked about how we come to a newness of life. We talked about how we come back to a place of being created, perfect, blameless, without sin, and we're buried with him in baptism, and we come up a new man, and we have the name of Jesus written over us, our sinful heritage forever gone, and now we have a new life, a new purpose, a new being, but we're still at this point of being shaped and molded and fashioned in the clay. But until the breath of life comes into our life, we cannot say we're living fullness of life. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. It continues, appeared unto them, cloven tongues like as fire sat upon each of them. We know that. This is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost for the very first time. But here in verse 2, it says, There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, I'm going to pretend to be smart for about 35 seconds if you can bear with me. That word wind that comes in, the word for wind in the original Greek as the New Testament is written, that word wind is pneuma. Pneuma also translates to power and spirit. Almost like when God breathed into man in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and the breath of God filled his lungs and man became newness of life. So you're telling me that when the Holy Ghost was outpoured, God breathed life into humanity. We started over in newness of life and we were washed away and we're clean and we're started over at square one, just shaped, just molded, just created, but not yet living. And now you're telling me that God can fill us with his spirit he can breathe new life into us again so that we don't have to just stay in this dead comatose state but now we can walk in the fullness of life he's given us life but not just life life more abundantly we're born of water and of the spirit it's like when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 he comes to him in verse 2 it says the same came to Jesus by night Nicodemus and said unto him rabbi we know that you're a teacher come from God for no man can do these things except God be with him he says in verse 3 he answered and said unto him verily I say unto you except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus asked him uh, how can a man be born when he's old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born and Jesus answered, Verily I say unto you, unless a man is born again of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. This is the same God. This is the same John chapter 3 chapter that we see Nicodemus asking these questions. And he says, you have to be born again of water and spirit. Well, how do we do that? I've just shown you how to do that. We're born again of water when we have a new name and a new heritage called over us. But we're born again of spirit when the breath of God fills your lungs and you begin to speak with other tongues as the Bible gives, as the word of God gives you utterance and you begin to walk in a newness of life. We're not just calling it newness of life because it's this great experience. We're calling it newness of life because we are actually born again of the water. We have a new heritage when we go down in that water and we have a new life, new breath in our lungs, new things filling us and bringing us to life. We're no longer brought to life by just our mother and the spank on the bottom from the doctor. That's not what calls us to life. We're called to life when we're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
It's more than just things we do. It's more than just things we say. Yes, this is a Pentecostal church, and yes, we love Acts 2.38. We love the scripture. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 29 says, The promise is unto you and to your children and all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he's still calling people today. But we don't preach this because the sign says Pentecost. We don't preach this because it's cute and we can tie it all up and wrap it up in one verse. We preach this because this is eternal, life-changing, life-altering, things, bringing us back to the point of creation, back to where God said, I created you, I made you, I filled your breath with lungs, and I look back on my creation, and I say, it is very good, very good. That's how we come back to Eden. That's how we come back to where God designed us. That's how we come back to a place of perfection, reconciled to God, called back to him. Man, it's great that we have this opportunity. But until we take advantage of it, it's simply that, an opportunity. I made a, a little bit of it in the beginning, but I didn't spend a whole lot of time. And, and quite frankly, I'm still not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But the reality is that sin is what separated us from that perfection. And sin is what gets us to a place where we find ourselves in need of a savior. And sin is what gets us to a place where we're walking through this life and we're dealing with heartache and we're dealing with brokenness and we're dealing with depression and anxiety and we're dealing with these tendencies, these, these suicidal thoughts and we're dealing with these, these things that would try and uh, grip us and these spirits of darkness and spiritual wickedness and high places and all these things are very real and they are very much attacking everybody that walks the face of the earth. And I'm not trying to get kooky or spooky or anything like that. Halloween's over, right? We're not celebrating any of that. We're talking about King of Kings and Lord of Lords and God Almighty. Sin separates us from this place of perfection. Gets us to a place where we might even walk into the doors of a church and we're sitting there and we raise our hands or we sing the songs, we clap along, we hear the preached word of God, maybe you like it, maybe you didn't. We hear all these different things go forth, but still I find myself sitting in a chair this morning and saying, that sounds great and it's great in principle, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what my life has looked like. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what I've lived through. You don't know what I've dealt with. And I can stand here with perfect honesty and say, you're 100% right, I don't know. But I know that no matter what it is, and yes, I said no matter what it is, I'm aware of the gravity of that statement. No matter what it is, we can boil it down to one root. Just a little three-letter word. Sin. It can be challenging to have the, the wholeness of your life to this point. The wholeness of your problem, the wholeness of your, your situation, the wholeness of what gives you worry, what keeps you awake at night. It can be challenging to have all of that boiled down into just three little letters. But the reality of it is this, sin. For by one man, sin entered into the world and by sin, death. 
So we sit here examining the course of our life, examining our, our situation, our, our station in life, our moment, even as we sit in this chair and hear the preached word of God going forth. And we're faced with a simple choice. Do we continue in sin? Or do we take the opportunity that's been presented to us? Not by me, I'm not anything special, anything magical, but by Jesus Christ, God Almighty. Who said, I created you to be perfect. And the reality is you made some bad choices. And those bad choices separated you from that perfection. Alienated you from God. Made you, that word alien means that you're, 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 you don't belong. By our sinful nature, we don't belong with God because God is perfection and he cannot exist with sin. If sin is in him, he's not God anymore. So we are, by definition, alienated from God. But he's given us an opportunity. He's given us an opportunity to say, yes, I, I love repentance. I love the fact that we can confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know it's in there. I believe it's in there. And I believe that we should repent. Paul said, I repent every day. I die daily to my sins. He said, I, I die out to my sin every day. But here's the, here's the simple fact. If our story ends at dying, then we're dead. It's a groundbreaking revelation moment. I know I'm not going to win a Nobel Prize for that revelation, but what we're doing when we die out to that sin is we are taking the steps, taking the steps to identify or connect our life to the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is simply this. There was a death, there was a burial, and there was a resurrection. Death is a good start, killing off the old man, killing off the sin nature, killing off the bad mistakes, killing off the, the things that challenge us and get us to a point where, where we don't know which way to turn or which way to go. Death, dying out to that old man is a great place. But I don't want your story. God doesn't want your story to end with death. But just like anything else that dies, we have to bury it, right? The Bible says, for we are buried with him in baptism. It's important that we go all the way under that water because it, it signifies a burial. It's a covering. How many people would be excited if you went by the graveyard and you saw the bodies with just a sprinkling of dirt over them? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> That's not what burial is. We're buried with him in baptism. But again, this is that point, buried with him in baptism. Yes, we died off to the old man. And yes, we're a clean slate, but right now just shaped as a figure in clay, waiting one more step so that we can have a fullness of life in Jesus Christ. We have to be breathed back to life. We're being called all the way back to Eden when we're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. How does that happen? What is that? You're talking about this ghost thing. I'll say Holy Spirit if it makes you feel better. It's the same thing. 
It's Jesus Christ who said, I I go away, but I don't leave you comfortless. I'll send myself as a comfort to you. And then we read about it in Acts chapter two at the very beginning there. They waited for him. They waited for this promise that would come from on high. And he sure did. He came. He filled the place as a rushing mighty wind. Cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do we know that? Because the Spirit of God, they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. It's not kooky. It's not crazy. It's not weird. It's biblical. It's biblical. We can all stand. So here we are. We're at the crossroads. I just looked at the clock. It's 11-11. We can make a wish. Here's the deal. You don't have to make a wish. You don't have to wait for a certain time on a clock. You don't have to cross your fingers. You don't have to wish upon a star. You don't have to do any of those things. We are simply offered it by calling out the name of Jesus. If you've never repented of your sins, it's as simple as this. You're talking to God like you're talking to somebody standing right next to you. God, I know I've done a lot of messed up things. I've made mistakes. The reality is, you know each and every one of them. You know uh, my faults, my failures. You see all of it. And God, I'm just asking you right now, would you forgive me for those sins? Would you forgive me for the things that I've done by intention? And God, would you please even also forgive me for things that I don't even necessarily know about? God, I ask that you would just search me. David prayed it like this. Search my heart. Know the inward part of my beings. And then he said, purge me with hyssop that I should be clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So what repentance is, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing like that just uh, absolutely, you don't have to have the fancy words. You're just coming to God and acknowledging that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness of my sins. And if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we've got hot water, we've got towels, we've got robes. We can get that done today. But when you have the name of Jesus called over your life, it's, I told you, it's so much more than ceremony. It's a new life. It's a new life. And if you've never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ is still very much real and still very much wanting to fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We surrender our life to him. We repent of our sins. We make sure there's a clean place for him. And then we just simply begin to worship him. We acknowledge that it's possible. We acknowledge the reality. God, I believe in your word. I believe that you, if you say that I can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, I believe that I can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I might not know how, I might not understand it, it might not make 100% sense to me, but God, if it's in your word, I, I choose to believe that it's real. And then we just begin to worship him. The Bible assures that whatsoever you pray in his name, believing, you shall receive. If you come up here saying, this is never gonna happen, but I'll close my eyes, that's, that's not a good way to do it. Whatsoever you pray in his name, believing, you shall receive. I'm going to open these altars. I realize that a lot of people, this is just old hat to you. But there's also some people in this place today that this might be the first time you've heard this. And I would ask everybody that would, if they would just come to this front of this place right now. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, 
please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.